of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from. The Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to. From the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from fresh water to salt water. Yama, and welcome to Night TV Radio. Bertrand Tungandami, Ngaya. I am Bertrand Tungandami. Coming up in your program this Monday, July 17, we have a yarn with Joel Shackerton, a Kuri unionist who is raising awareness about black cladding. As you'll hear, black cladding is rough in the construction industry in Victoria, not only depriving mob of opportunities, but also perpetuating the cycle of indigenous disadvantage in the state. Also on NITV Radio today, we look at the findings of a new report revealing the gap in life expectancy remains despite the fact Australians across the board are living longer these days. Also, health authorities are encouraging all Australians, First Nations people in particular, and the most vulnerable members of the community to get vaccinated for influenza B. The call comes after an increase in hospital admissions and fatalities due to the illness. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news. And today we are broadcasting from NAM on the Kulin Nation. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. In this bulletin, the Yes campaign for the voice to Parliament submits their case to the Electoral Commission. Executives of consultancy firm Deloitte front a Senate committee following the PWC tax leak scandal. And in sport, the Matildas call for gender equality in football as the countdown begins to the FIFA World Cup. Having collaborated across Parliament, the Yes campaign for the Indigenous Voice to Parliament is to hand in its wording for the referendum pamphlet. Supporters of the Voice are submitting their case to the Australian Electoral Commission today. Crossbenchers who voted to bug the Voice legislation were offered briefings led by Indigenous Australians Minister Linda Barney and Attorney General Mark Dreyfus. Ms. Barney described the process as collaborative and says it had brought together the best arguments in support of the Voice. Minister for Northern Australian for Northern Australia, Madeleine King, says she hopes people will read the document. We've worked with independent members of parliament uh, and also the Greens. So we've worked across the board to make sure the yes part of the pamphlet is constructive, collaborative and most of all really positive and passes on information to all Australians. 
a national center which, which will aim to bring the benefits of genomics medicine to First Nations people has been launched in Melbourne. Indigenous Australians typically have a life expectancy of 10 years less than the general population. The lead of the Australian Alliance for Indigenous Genomics says 80% of the gap is due to chronic disease. The centre will be governed by an Indigenous council to ensure all DNA provided is treated with respect. Queensland's biggest celebration of First Nations arts and culture is underway in Keynes. The multi-arts programme of events is aimed at inspiring, educating and entertaining, entertaining art collectors as well as curators and visitors. More island dancers welcomed all, the, all to the Keynes Indigenous Art Fair known as Kayaf. 50,000 people are expected to view the work of some 600 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists. Consultancy firm Deloitte has admitted an employee inadvertently breached confidentiality protocols by mishandling government information. Executives of Deloitte Australia have fronted the Senate Finance and Public Administration Committee, answering questions around their work with the government in the wake of the PwC tax leak scandal. The member of the Big Four accounting firm told the committee there was 121 substantiated matters this financial year, which included one case of fraud and one case of misusing government information. Deloitte's chief risk officer, Nessa Pelosi, says the breach occurred when one employee shared confidential government information with another employee without proper authorization. The incident um, that we referred to in our questions, I noticed, did relate to a breach of our protocols in relation to the handling of government um, information. So we did identify um, the matter and we obviously um, reported it to the department within 48 hours. And the incident itself related to the protocols that we had in place from one team member working with another team member on the same engagement. Environment and Water Minister Tanya Plibersek says the Labour government is still in a strong position despite a new poll showing support for the Labour Party is at its lowest since the 2022 election. News poll published in the Australian newspaper shows the coalition has failed to benefit from the decline as voters swing to independents and minor parties. Labour's primary vote has fallen two points to 36% its weakest results since it won office with base support of 32.6%. While the coalition won the Faden by election over the weekend, support for the party nationally has fallen to 34%. Instead, some voters are supporting the Greens and One Nation Party, both increasing by 1% in the poll. Cabinet Minister Tanya Plibersek told Channel 7 the Labour government is more focused on cost of living relief. Oh, well, polls jump around all the time and we don't take too much notice of them. Uh, it's still a very strong position for the government. We're 10 points ahead, two-party preferred. But as I say, our real focus is not the polling. It's actually dealing with the cost of living issues that you're talking about. That's why we've introduced cheaper childcare. It's why we've halved the cost of medicines. It's why we're making it easier to see a doctor uh, bulk bills using just your Medicare card instead of your credit card. It's why we support higher wages. The, the Royal Commission into Defence and Veterans Society is set to resume public hearings today after recent criticism of its investigation. The inquiry will sit in Adelaide over the next two weeks as it focuses on safe workplaces in the Defence Force. 
It will examine how aspects of military life such as leadership, postings and promotions, deployment and career management can impact the mental health and well-being of Defence Force members and their families. Air Force Director General Personnel Karen Ashworth says she doesn't agree that the Defence Force privileges personnel over the well-being of its members. I think that people are the heart of our organisation. We recognise that we can't do our job without people um, and therefore we need our people to be supported and looked after as well as possible through the systems and processes we interact. A new report has found women in media remain concerned about gender equality and a lack of industry support. The Women in Media Industry report suggests 54% of women are unsure or dissatisfied with the progress of their careers. It also found three times more women in 2023 say they have limited access to development than, 22, than 2022 and discrimination was five times more commonly experienced. The report recommends the media industry commits to actively addressing gender equality and creates pathways to promotion. The Business Council of Australia has called for improved employment outcomes for people with disability. A report by the council has found 92% of its members want to recruit more people with a disability to their workforce. It also suggests only 6% of business council members have employees with disability at the senior management level. Australian Network on Disability Chief Executive Corinne Strauss says many businesses are open to making their workplaces more inclusive but don't know where to start. In Europe, people are being warned to prepare for the most intense heat wave of the summer and also one of the most intense of all time. Predictions of historic highs in the coming days has led Italy's health minister to sound a red alert for 16 cities including Rome, Bologna and Florence. The Acropolis in Athens, one of Greece's top tourist attractions, closed for a third day running during the day's hottest hours. Greek meteorologist Yanis Kalianos explains why temperatures are so high. Every year we experience a transfer of warm air in the southern part of Europe. We could experience one, two, three, even four heat waves through the summer. There might be some slight changes, but we will experience heat waves every year, and they mostly come from North Africa, where climate change has played a role and will continue to play a role is in the number of heat waves we will experience. And in sport, there are calls for FIFA to honour its commitments to gender equality in football if the 2023 Women's World Cup is to have a lasting impact on the sport. Dr. Michelle O'Shea of Western Sydney University says FIFA needs to commit in writing to a promise made earlier this year of equal prize money in the tournament by 2027. Prize money for the 2023 Women's Tournament will be a quarter of the amount offered at the Men's Tournament last year. Dr. O'Shea, a senior lecturer on gender and diversity in sport, says it's time for FIFA to take responsibility for achieving equality in the game. This is a labour that our female footballers are always exerting on all matter of facets of their engagement in the game and something their male peers and counterparts have never had to, to certainly do in the, in the modern era. So, yeah, I think the time is now and that um, they really need to, to pull, the, pull the sort of game up to the level that it ought to be and that's investment and that's prize money. 
And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, sunny 31, Perth, partly cloudy 20, Adelaide, sunny 15, Melbourne, sunny 16, Hobart, partly cloudy 16, Albury, Wodonga, sunny 15, Canberra, clouds clearing 16, Wollongong, partly cloudy 20, Sydney, possible shower 19, Newcastle, a shower 221, Brisbane, a shower 221 as well, Townsville, mostly cloudy 26, Keynes, a shower 227, Early Springs, mostly sunny 23, Darwin, similar conditions with a top of 33, and the Torres Strait Islands, a sunny day ahead and a top of 29 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. I'm Patron Tungandam and you're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come in your program this Monday afternoon, a new report reveals Australians across the board are living longer, but the gap remains for First Nations people. They're still living 10 years less than the rest of the population in average. And amid a rising number of hospital admissions and fatalities, health authorities are calling on all Australians, particularly First Nations people and the most vulnerable members of the community, to get vaccinated against influenza B. But first, we have a conversation with a Koori unionist who is raising awareness about rampant black cladding in the construction industry in Victoria. Supply Nations actually defines uh, black cladding as the practice of an indigenous business and business entity or individual taking unfair advantage of an indigenous business entity or individual for the purpose of gaining access to otherwise inaccessible indigenous procurement policies or contracts. And according to our guest, black cladding is so widespread in Victoria, it needs, it needs to be stamped out, especially in the construction industry. He says black cladding is not only depriving indigenous Australians of opportunities, it is also perpetuating the cycle of indigenous disadvantage. <laughs> joined by Joel Shackerton, CFMU's school organiser, who is raising awareness about a rampant rot known as black cladding in the construction industry in Victoria. Black cladding consists of an indigenous business masquerading as an indigenous entity in order to claim advantages normally reserved for First Nations businesses. Joel, first, thanks for joining us on NITV Radio today. Uh, thanks, Bertrand. Thanks for having me. Now, as briefly mentioned in my introduction, it appears that black cladding is rife in the construction industry, especially in Victoria. Can you lay the background of uh, black cladding for us and uh, the current situation in your industry, in your state, and how it is affecting your people? Yeah, it is. look, obviously, I'm, I'm a Vic boy, a half-prem, goody Jamara man from southwest Victoria. I've been in the industry since 2007. There's a massive boom in construction in Melbourne and every single government job where there's government funding, there needs to be uh, an aspect of Indigenous businesses and Indigenous labour on the ground. So all the crafty um, people that um, like to exploit a rot and um, exploit our people, sort of keep us oppressed, they start these businesses with no intentions of employing Indigenous brothers and sisters no mob gets a job and what they do it's one black owner at the top of the food chain 
with the with the rich white fella as the puppet with pulling all the strings of all the money. And then essentially, once they've got the tick off from a, a state based consortium called Kinaway Chamber of Commerce, they're then able to tend to government jobs as an indigenous business. Yeah. But, so that means all their labour can be non-indigenous, all their spend goes to non-indigenous labour, all their machines, anything to do with construction, and they could funnel millions of dollars of Aboriginal spend through these black cladding businesses, and none of the community, the grassroots mob on the ground, actually get a job out of it. Yeah, it has to be said that uh, when public uh, tenders are designed to prioritise indigenous businesses, they're actually designed to help build capacity in indigenous communities and uh, lift the community from a situation of uh, disadvantage, which is a social, well, a corollary of uh, colonization. 100%. Um, 100%, brother. And yet... So what it is, what it is, Bertram, is it, it's just a path of least resistance. So in these contracts, there's money allocated by the government to the builders for training, for apprentice hours, for... All these other bells and whistles that get so mob are supposed to be trained up, and to avoid doing that, they just go to these black cladding companies and because it's had the tick off by the government body Kinaway, who really they've never picked up a hammer, let alone worked on a construction site, and they just pump non-indigenous labour through every sector, whether it be electrical, plumbing. Um, wherever there's a rort there can be, um, there's labour and there's civil, there's construction, there's hospitals. Anything to do with government work now is being exploited by these black cladding companies. And they're the biggest threat to my members' jobs as an official for the CFMU and the Dick Branch. It's the white man pretending to be black. And to qualify as an Indigenous businesses, there are conditions that need to be met, like uh, having a certain percentage of employees, I think 50% or more, and film more conditions, just not uh, one claiming to be Indigenous. Bertram, what happens is you have to be 51% owned and you have to be a Victorian Aboriginal-owned business. What the Chamber of Commerce is doing down here is they're letting people come from New South Wales, New uh, South Australia, WA, Queensland, that aren't from here. As long as their address is registered in Victoria, they call that a Victorian Aboriginal business. Now, I know I was brought up knowing that, you know, the impacts job in Darwin on Larrakia country, that's not our place to go work there. If you can't find Larrakia mob in Darwin to work on a job in Darwin, then you're obviously not doing your job right. The same with Aboriginal owned businesses down here. All right, they've got to be real Victorian Aboriginal businesses and they've got to employ people from the mob down here in Victoria. Otherwise, it's just, it's just trickle-down economics with one black person corporate at the top you know, I represent the, the working class blacks on the ground and, and none of them are getting a feed. And that's the biggest fraud that I've seen in my time in construction. Um, and it needs to be called out. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a definitely robbing uh, more uh, of opportunities, of uh, capacity building, as you said, training and uh, even being able to build their businesses and be able to turn up for bigger contracts, uh, not only in Victoria, but even nationwide. If they can't build their capacity at a grassroots level where they are actually uh, more um, qualified, uh, how can they turn up for bigger businesses if they're not given the opportunity? It's just... Uh, it's that- to start an Aboriginal business down here, Bertram, yeah. you don't even need a proof. You don't even need a proof of Aboriginality. Yeah. All you need is a statutory declaration from a chemist or a justice of the peace or 
anyone can sign off and say you're Aboriginal. We're calling for reform for the industry. Yeah, we want a we want a construction based um, elders board, Victorian Aboriginal construction board of integrity, with yeah. elders, officials, and construction workers that approve these businesses and have the final say of who's coming into our industry and who's going to rule it. And you know what I mean? Because at the moment, it's just people are just ticking boxes left, right, and centre. And then when they do their nice little budget at the end of the year, the Indigenous spend is massive, but it doesn't go to any of the mob. This is a phenomenon we've seen in the arts and it's happened in uh, many other areas. And in Victoria, you've highlighted how rife it is. Is it uh, more uh, prevalent in Victoria than other states? I think it's, it's, it's everywhere. Where, where there's money, the, the, gr- the greedy people come out to exploit it. You know, the, there is some cases in, on our government jobs where the builders are doing the right thing. Um, we're calling for a, a mass audit of all government jobs and where the money's going to, because you'll be surprised of who's identifying who's Indigenous and who's not. Because I tell you what, when I was a little kid in the 80s, um, it wasn't it wasn't cool to be an Aboriginal person, yeah, but now there's an EBA job at the end of the line where it's good pay, good conditions, everyone's ticking a box pretending they're black. It actually makes me sick. And what happens uh, when, uh, because obviously at a certain stage, uh, these people get uncovered and discovered, uh, what happens? Nothing actually happens because the builders self-report. They just go, yep, ticked off by Kinaway, done. They don't care if there's no Indigenous workers. They'll get away with the bare minimum to maximise profits for their, their multinational corporations they work for. Wow, wow. Yeah, that's sick. It... And then, brother, once... Bertrand, once they get this this tick of approval, they then are qualified to go and lobby the government for social procurement funding, Indigenous funding, but all these people. So if you've got, so let's just labour hire, for example, and you're an Aboriginal-owned labour hire company, now you can employ as many white people as you want, and then no-one's stopping you from ticking the box to say if they're Indigenous or not. There's no checks. No-one's checking off on it. You understand? Yeah, so these crafty yeah. companies can just say, "Yep, we've got 400 indigenous workers, and we know there's not." Yeah, right? Yeah, Tick yeah. the box, get funding for X, Y, and Z, and no one's pulling them up on it. It's the biggest rot known to man. I got it's not only robbing the community of opportunities, but it's also undermining the government's own objectives. Because if they purport to be lifting indigenous people from a situation of disadvantage, and yet through black cladding. Well, uh, those involved in black cladding are setting the community behind, which is uh, quite the opposite of uh, what uh, the government uh, purports to be doing. But the, the thing is, they they put their hands up and go, it's it's they're ticking off on it, away and they're saying that it's all kosher. But we know in our heart of hearts, they're not doing their checks and balances properly. The more members they have, the more the more funding they get from the government. This is our first chance. Bertram, to the Victorian Aboriginal people, it's our first time. We've got 500 members, in, rank and file members for the CFMEU in Victoria. And it's the first generation where we can have generational wealth and give something to our kids with, you know, a financial sort of independence. Yeah. Not from the government funding, you know. And we can break the generational uh, welfare mentality. Yeah. And look, I'm not against other people, other mobs coming down here for a fee but what I'm saying is Victorian Aboriginal social procurement for our brothers and sisters here 
for the injustices to happen to our old people from them down here. That's what it's for. It's not to be exploited by, you know, people from interstate. It's not there to be exploited from, you know, rich mob from interstate and different companies and black cladding and all these things that happen. And they just do it to, be, to get the government funding and their foot in the door of government jobs. There's no real training for the mob down here and there's nothing going back to community. And any recommendations to alleviate this situation or just uh, stop we- it out? Well, something needs to be done about the Kennaway Chamber of Commerce. They're just running rogue at the moment. Not everyone, just in the construction game, it's it's sickening. What they do in the corporate side, none of my business, but what affects my members is these black cladding companies, labour hire, traffic management. So you imagine a big traffic management company and then all their utes, all their non-Indigenous labour all goes under the spend of an Aboriginal business because they're being ticked off by this government body. We're calling for reform. We want a, we want an independent panel of elders that oversees this mob and who's a Victorian Aboriginal business in this state because it's been rorted. Calling on the government for change, and, um, just trying to blow it up for our people and realise how much we've been exploited today in 2023. Joel Shackleton, thank you very much for joining us on NITV Radio today, raising awareness about uh, black cladding in the construction industry in Victoria. Thanks, Bertram. No worries. Thanks for your time. Now, if you want to listen to this conversation again, you can uh, find it. It's actually published right on our website, sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio. Time for a break and a song. And when we return, we look at uh, closing the gap in life expectancy. Well... The gap is far from being uh, parity is far from being uh, achieved, despite an improvement across the country. And amid the rising hospital admissions and fatalities, health authorities are urging all Australians, especially mob and the most vulnerable members of the community, to get vaccinated against the influenza B. <laughs> Have you heard some of the great podcasts that SBS creates, including ours? You can find them on the SBS Audio app and website. Each year, we also invite podcast ideas from the public to commission new podcasts from diverse Australian voices. Do you have a story to tell? If you have an idea for a podcast series that would feel at home on SBS, we want to hear from you. Submit your pitch via our website until July 31. For more information, please visit sbs.com.au slash podcast page. New research from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare shows more Australians are living longer than ever before. And analysis finds improvements in life expectancy for Indigenous Australians, though the gap remains. Claire Slattery reports. Merle Moore will soon celebrate her birthday for the 103rd time in her life, but she says she doesn't feel her age. I don't feel 103, and I don't even feel 100. I'm beginning to enjoy it. I suppose in my perhaps 80s, 90s, I can't get as bad as quick in... uh, my walking but in my mind I'm young 
not old. The centenarian still lives independently at home and has done for years. Despite the wisdom that comes with age, she says she doesn't hold any secrets to living a longer life. Oh no, I don't have any tips. I think if you look after yourself when you're growing up, and we were brought up on a farm and had good food, and I think uh, we had to eat everything that was on our plate and uh, enjoy it. And I think that's part of living. We were brought up pretty strict. Merlemore is one of an increasing number of Australians living past the age of 100. Since 1973, the number of centenarians in Australia has increased 27-fold, from 226 to 6,181 in 2022. But it's not just the number of people living past the age of 100 that's growing. According to new analysis from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, more Australians than ever are living into their 80s and 90s. Richard Jukes is population head at the Institute. We found that life expectancy just keeps on increasing. It's really quite remarkable. Over the past 120 years, uh, life expectancy has gone up by an average of three months every year. That is, every time four years passes, life expectancy has increased by a year. Over the past five decades, life expectancy for females has increased by 11.2 years and 13.7 years for males. People born in Australia between 2019 and 2021 can now expect to live to more than 81 years old. For females born in these years, life expectancy is 85.4 years, while for males it's 81.3 years. That's compared with the low 50s in the early 1900s. But while Australians are living longer than ever before, and to very old ages, this has not shifted the maximum age. Richard Jukes says this suggests there is a biological limit to human longevity. NITV yeah, it's really striking that the, there are more and more Australians living to be 80 or 90 or 100, but still uh, it's extremely rare for anyone to make it to 110. There doesn't seem to be much movement in that maximum age. So, for example... Um, the longest-lived ever Australian, according to our records, uh, was a woman who died in 2002 at age 114. So that was 20 years ago, and the average life expectancy has gone up five years in that time. But uh, over that 20 years, no one has managed to live longer than she did. In 2021, there were 171,469 deaths registered in Australia. The leading causes of death were coronary heart disease in men and dementia, including Alzheimer's disease for women. The figures don't take into account 2022, when there was a big spike in COVID-related mortality. Australia has the fifth longest life expectancy of all OECD countries, behind Japan, Switzerland, Korea and Spain. Richard Duke says the figures are a result of major advances in medicine and treatment of diseases, as well as overall living conditions and quality of life. It's just remarkable that we've made such, uh, such strong improvements in um, preventing people from dying over such a sustained period. One of the most striking things about it is uh, that we also looked at the modal age of death, that is the age at which people were most likely to die. Until 1973, the most likely age of death was zero. That is, uh, more people died before their first birthday than at any other age. But then in the 1970s, infant mortality, we managed to reduce to a level where the most common age of death was in the 70s. 
and now the most common age of death is 87 for males and 91 for females. But not all Australians are benefiting equally from living longer lives. The figures show there's still a gap in life expectancy between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander boys born between 2015 and 2017 can expect to live to the age of 71.6 years, 8.6 years younger than non-Indigenous males, while their sisters have a life expectancy of 75.6 years, that's 7.8 years younger than non-Indigenous females. But the report shows the gap has narrowed. In the past decade, the difference between Indigenous and non-Indigenous life expectancy was reduced by 2.9 years for males and 1.9 years for females. Rosemary Calder is a Professor of Health Policy at Victoria University. And I think the causes are well known and understood. Many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have less access to good health in infancy, less access to health services and health services support for women who are pregnant. There are much higher rates of violence and injury in Indigenous communities. We have a lot to redress and there's been much effort to do so, but we still have a very long way to go. Claire Slattery, SBS News. You're with NITV Radio. We must now step aside, but when we come back, we'll hear that how amid rising uh, hospital admissions and fatalities, authorities are urging all Australians, especially First Nations uh, Australians and the most vulnerable members of the community, to get vaccinated against the influenza B. NITV Radio, on radio, online and mobile. Welcome back. Now, there's been an increase in hospital admissions for influenza across the country, but this trend, is, this trend isn't being reflected in vaccine uptake. Health authorities are urging everyone to get vaccinated following two deaths in young people from influenza B. Katrina Stirat reports. People are being warned about the dangers of the flu after the virus took the lives of two children this week. A Year 9 student in New South Wales and an 11-year-old in Queensland's Sunshine Coast both died after catching influenza B. While there's been an increase in patients being admitted to hospital for flu-like illnesses, vaccine uptake is on the decline. So what exactly is influenza? Professor Frank Beard is Associate Director at the National Centre for Immunisation Research and Surveillance. Influenza is uh, caused by a virus and the two main types of it are influenza A and influenza B. Uh, High fever, sore throat, blocked nose, aches and pains and tiredness and uh, it can uh, last for up to a week. A lot of, there's a lot of other um, viruses that can cause similar symptoms but tend not to be as uh, potentially serious as influenza which can cause Uh, complications like uh, pneumonia and um, inflammation of the heart, inflammation of the nervous system. Dr Kirsty Short is a virologist at the University of Queensland and explains the difference between the two strands of influenza. So what's uh, different about influenza B is that it hasn't diversified to the same extent as influenza A. So we just have um, 
what we would call two lineages of influenza B, where there's a plethora of influenza A. And then the other thing about influenza B is we tend not to worry about it from a pandemic point of view because it doesn't really spill from animals into humans. It's it's really a human-specific thing. So that makes it quite different to influenza A, where you've heard of things like bird flu, swine flu, all those sorts of varieties. So um, it's still an important human pathogen, but it is different to influenza A. In the year to date, national surveillance data shows influenza rates have been highest in people aged 5 to 9 years old, followed by those aged 0 to 4 years old and those aged 10 to 14 years. Since April 2023, 69% of people admitted with confirmed influenza across hospitals were children aged younger than 16 years. New South Wales Chief Health Officer Kerry Chant has issued a stark warning about the seriousness of the viral disease, especially for young people. Last week, New South Wales emergency departments recorded a 37% increase in patients with flu-like illnesses, with more than half of them aged under 16. Since May, 16 children in the state have been admitted to intensive care at three major hospitals, with life-threatening complications from the flu, including serious heart, brain and muscle-related issues. Dr Chant urged parents to get their children vaccinated before school returns. So what we're actually seeing this year is a significant impact on our 5- to 16-year-olds or our school-aged children. This is in part related to the type of influenza that's circulating, influenza B, and that type tends to be associated with a greater impact on school-aged children. Queensland's Chief Health Officer has echoed these concerns, citing a high rate of unvaccinated patients as school resumes. Dr John Gerard says in a statement there has been three times more hospital admissions for influenza B than influenza A in children aged less than five years. Professor Beard explains how this representation of influenza B in young people could be caused by a lack of immunity. The concern in children would be that because there hasn't been any, there wasn't any influenza B circulating last year and there wasn't any influenza at all in 2020 and 2021, that uh, children are more likely to not have been exposed to influenza B before, as opposed to adults who've had various infections over the years, both A and B, and also uh, vaccination, uh, which uh, can contribute to immunity as well. Professor Beard says influenza should be treated as the serious and life-threatening disease it can be. Influenza can still cause severe disease and death in healthy adults, healthy children, So, which is why we recommend that People get vaccinated every year because influenza is a potentially lethal infection. Vaccination is even more strongly recommended for people who are in those particularly high-risk groups like small small children, older adults, people with medical conditions. But it's it's recommended across the board because uh, it, it can still be a nasty disease. So why is there a hesitancy to get the jab? Nearly 2 million less Australians have received an influenza vaccination this year compared to the same March to July period last year. According to the Australian Immunisation Register, 8.5 million Australians received the influenza shot in the period from the beginning of March to the 9th of July this year. 
That's compared to the more than 10 million Australians who received the vaccine over the same period last year. Dr Short says vaccine fatigue could be one of the reasons behind this decline. What these cases highlight to us is really the importance of vaccination. And it's very difficult because I think people very much have vaccine fatigue. We've gone through a lot over the past few years and, you know, been asked to get a lot of vaccinations and a lot of boosters. Um, and maybe the flu doesn't feel like such a such a threat. Um, but it is really important to get vaccinated every year because the vaccine gets updated annually. She says this is particularly important for very young children aged under five, elderly people and those who are immunocompromised. It's, it's really um, strongly recommended for uh, certain individuals who have underlying health in, uh, health situations to get vaccinated and, in fact, for certain subgroups, the vaccine is freely available. So it is really um, one of those important things that if you are, for example, even say living with diabetes, um, where you might not consider yourself immunocompromised, that you do prioritise flu vaccination. The influenza vaccine is freely available for those aged between six months and five years for people with various underlying health conditions, pregnant women, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, and those aged 65 and over. Katrina Stirrett, SBS News. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook. And that was uh, Don't You Worry by uh, Electric Fields. And that's all uh, from us uh, this uh, Monday afternoon. NITV Radio will be back uh, on Wednesday and the program will be brought to you by our executive producer, Luana Grant. I'm Beton Tungandame, thanking you for your company this Monday afternoon. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu. Yeah,